welcome to Storytime with Kurt. In each episode, I'd like you to sit back, relax, and just chill out while I read Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Previously in Chapter 12 of Great Expectations. Well, basically, Pip is just talking about having to go to Miss Havisham's on a regular basis. And curiously, Miss Havisham asked if Joe would want to do his apprenticeship with Pip there on the on her grounds. And Pip's sister was having nothing of it. Chapter 13. It was a trial to my feelings on the next day but one to see Joe arraying himself in his Sunday clothes to accompany me to Miss Havisham's. However, as he thought his court suit necessary to the occasion, it was not for me to tell him that he looked far better in his working dress, the rather because I knew he made himself so dreadfully uncomfortable entirely on my account, and that it was for me he pulled up his shirt collar so very high behind that it made the hair on the crown of his head stand up like a tuft of feathers. At breakfast time, my sister declared her intention of going to town with us, and being left at Uncle Pumblechook's and called for when we had done with our fine ladies, a way of putting the case from which Joe appeared inclined to augur the worst, the forge was shut up for the day, and Joe inscribed in chalk upon the door, as was his custom to do on the very rare occasions when he wasn't at work, the monosyllable hout accompanied by a sketch of an arrow supposed to be flying in the direction he had taken. We walked to town, my sister leading the way in a very large beaver bonnet, and carrying a basket like the Great Seal of England in plated straw, a pair of patterns, a spare shawl, and an umbrella, though it was a fine bright day. I'm not quite clear whether these articles were carried penitentially or ostentatiously, but I'd rather think they were displayed as articles of property, much as Cleopatra or any other sovereign lady on the rampage might exhibit her wealth in a pageant of, or procession. When we came to Pumblechooks, my sister bounced in and left us. As it was almost noon, Joe and I held straight on to Miss Havisham's house. Estella opened the gate as usual, and the moment she appeared, Joe took his hat off and stood weighing it by the brim in both his hands, as if he had some urgent reason in his mind for being particular to half a quarter of an ounce. Estella took no notice of either of us, but led us the way that I know, knew so well. I followed next to her, and Joe came last. When I looked back at Joe in the long passage, he was still weighing his hat with the greatest care and was coming after us in long strides on the tips of his toes. Estella told me we were both to go in, so I took Joe by the coat cuff and conducted him into Miss Havisham's presence. She was seated at her dressing table and looked round at us immediately. "'Oh,' she said to Joe, "'you are the husband of the sister of this boy.' I could hardly have imagined dear old Joe looking so unlike himself or so like some extraordinary bird standing as he did speechless with his tufts of feathers ruffled and his mouth open as if he wanted a worm. You are the husband, repeated Miss Havisham, of the sister of this boy. It was very aggravating, but throughout the interview, Joe persisted in addressing me instead of Miss Havisham. "'Which I meant to say, Pip,' 
Joe now observed in a manner that was at once expressive of forcible argumentation, strict confidence, and great politeness, as I hup and married your sister, and I were at the time what you might call, if you was in anyways inclined, a single man. Well, Miss Havisham, said, and you have reared the boy with the intention of taking him for your apprentice, is that so, Mr. Gargery? "'You know, Pip,' replied Joe, "'as you and me were ever friends, and it were looked forward to betwixt us as be calculated to lead to larks. But, but no, not but what, Pip, if you had ever made objections to the business, such as its being open to black and soot, or such like, not but what they would have had been attended to, don't you see?' "'Has the boy,' said Miss Havisham, "'ever made any objection? Does he like the trade?' "'Which is well known be, be known to yourself,' Pip returned Joe, "'strengthening his former mixture of argumentation, confidence, and politeness, "'that it were the wish of your own heart.' "'I saw the idea suddenly break upon him "'that he would adapt his epitaph to the occasion "'before he went on to say, "'And there weren't no objection on your part, "'and Pip it were the great wish of your heart.' "'It was quite in vain for me to endeavor to make him sensible "'that he ought to speak to Miss Havisham.' The more I made faces and gestures to him to do it, the more confidential, argumentative, and polite he persisted in being to me. "'Have you brought his indentures with you?' asked Miss Havisham. "'Well, Pip, you know,' replied Joe, as if that were a little unreasonable, "'you yourself see me put them in my hat, and therefore you know as they are here.' With which he took them out and gave them not to Miss Havisham, but to me." "'I'm afraid I was ashamed of the dear good fellow. "'I know I was ashamed of him "'when I saw that Estella stood at the back of Miss Havisham's chair "'and that her eyes laughed mischievously. "'I took the indentures out of his hand "'and gave them to Miss Havisham. "'You expected,' said Miss Havisham as she looked them over. "'No premium with the boy?' "'Joe,' I remonstrated, for he made no reply at all. "'Why don't you answer, Pip?' returned joe cutting me short as if he were hurt which i meant to say that were not a question requiring an answer between yourself and me and which you know the answer to be full well no you know it to be no pip and wherefore should i say it miss havisham glanced at him as if she understood what he was really better than i had thought possible seeing what he was there and took up a little bag from the table beside her pip has earned a premium here she said and here it is there are five and twenty guineas in this bag give it to your master pip as if as if he were absolutely out of his mind with the wonder awakened in him by her strange figure and the strange room joe even at this pass persisted in addressing me this is very liberal on your part pip said joe and it is as such received in grateful welcome though never looked for far nor near nor wheres or nor nowheres and now old chap said joe conveying to me a sensation first of burning and then of freezing for i felt as if that familiar expression were applied to miss havisham and now old chap we may do our duty May you and me do our duty, both on us, by one another, and by them which your liberal present have conveyed, to, for, to be for the satisfaction of mind of them as never. Here Joe showed that he felt he had fallen into frightful difficulties, until he triumphantly rescued himself with the words, And from myself far be it. 
These words had such a round and convincing sound for him that he said them twice. "'Goodbye, Pip,' said Miss Havisham. "'Let them out, Estella.' "'Am I to come again, Miss Havisham?' I asked. "'No, Gargory is your master now. Gargory, one word.' Thus calling him back as I went out the door, I heard her say to Joe in a distinct, emphatic voice, "'The boy has been a good boy here, and that is his reward. Of course, as an honest man, you will expect no other and no more.' How Joe got out of the room, I've never been able to determine, but I know that when he did get out, he was steadily proceeding upstairs instead of coming down, and was deaf to all remonstrances. Remonstrances? Jeez.' until I went after him and laid hold of him. In another minute, we were outside the gate, and it was locked, and Estella was gone. When we stood in the daylight alone again, Joe backed up against the wall and said to me, Astonishing! And there he remained so long, saying, Astonishing! at intervals so often that I began to think his senses were never coming back. At length, he prolonged his remark into... Pip, I do assure you that this is astonishing. And so, by degrees, became conversational and able to walk away. I have reason to think that Joe's intellects were brightened by the encounter they had passed through, and that on our way to Pumblechooks he invented a subtle and deep design. My reason is to be found in what took place in Mr. Pumblechook's parlor, where, on our presenting ourselves, my sister sat in conference with that detested seedsman. Well, cried my sister, addressing us both at once, and what's happened to you? I wonder, could you condescend to come back to such poor society as this? I am sure I do. Miss Havisham, Joe said, with a fixed look at me, like an effort of remembrance, made it very particular that we should give her were it compliments or respects, Pip. Compliments, I said. Which that were my own belief, answered Joe, her compliments to Mrs. J. Gargery. Much, do they'll, much good they'll do me, observed my sister, but rather gratified, too. And wishing, pursued Joe with another fixed look at me, like another effort of remembrance, that the state of Miss Havisham's elf health <laughs> were such as would have allowed, were it, Pip, of her having the pleasure, I added, of ladies' company, said Joe, and drew a long breath. Well, cried my sister with a mollified glance at Mr. Pumblechook, she might have had the politeness to send that message at first, but it's better late than never. And what does she give young Rantipole here? She give him, said Joe, nothing. Mrs. Joe was going to break out, but Joe went on. What she give, said Joe, she give to his friends, and by his friends were her explanation, I mean into the hands of his sister, Mrs. J. Gargery. Them were her words, Mrs. J. Gargery. She mayn't have knowed, ad Joe, added Joe, with an appearance of reflection, whether it was Joe or Jorge. Probably George, right? Probably not Jorge, probably George. My sister looked at Pumblechook, who smoothed the elbows of his wooden armchair and nodded at her and at the fire as if he had known all about it beforehand. "'And how much have you got?' asked my sister, laughing, positively laughing. "'What would present, what would present company say to ten pound?' demanded Joe. 
They'd say, returned my sister curtly, pretty well. Not not too much, but pretty well. It's more than that, then, said Joe. That fearful imposter, Pumblechook, immediately nodded and said as he rubbed the arms of his chair, It's more than that, Mum. Why, you don't mean to say, began my sister. Yes, I do, Mum, said Pumblechook. But wait a bit. Go on, Joseph. Good in you. Go on. What would present company say, proceeded Joe, to twenty pound? Handsome would be the word, returned my sister. Well, then, said Joe, it's more than twenty pound. That abject hypocrite Pumblechook nodded again and said with a patronizing laugh, It's more than that, Mum. Good again. Father her up, Joseph. Then, to make an end of it, said Joe, delightedly handing the bag to my sister, it's five and twenty pound. It's five and twenty pound, Mum, echoed that basest of swindlers, Pumblechook, rising to shake hands with her. And it's no more than your merits, as I said when my opinion was asked, and I wish you the joy of money. If the villain had stopped here, his case would have been sufficiently awful, but he blackened his guilt by proceeding to take me into custody with a right of patronage that left all his former criminality behind. "'Now you see, Joseph and wife,' said Pumblechook as he took me by the arm above the elbow, "'I am one of them that always goes right through with what they've begun. "'This boy must be bound out of hand. "'That's my way, bound out of hand.' "'Goodness knows, Uncle Pumblechook,' said my sister, grasping the money. "'We're deeply beholding to you.' "'Never mind me, Mum,' returned that diabolical corn-chandler. "'A pleasure's a pleasure all the world over. "'But this boy, you know, we must have him bound. "'I said I'd see to it to tell you the truth.' "'The justices were sitting in the town hall near at hand, "'and we at once went over to have me bound apprentice to Joe "'in the magisterial presence.' I say we went over, but I was pushed over by Pumblechook, exactly as if I had that moment picked a pocket or fired a rick. Indeed, it was the general impression in court that I had been taken red-handed, for as Pumblechook shoved me before him through the crowd, I heard some people say, What's he done? And others, He's a young'un too, but looks bad, don't he? A person of mild and benevolent aspect even gave me a tract ornamented with a woodcut of a malevolent young man fitted up to be with a perfect sausage shop of fetters and entitled to be read in my cell. The hall was a queer place, I thought, with higher pews in it than a church, and with people hanging over the pews looking on, and with mighty justices, one with a powdered head, leaning back in chairs with folded arms, or taking snuff, or going to sleep, or writing, or reading the newspapers, and with some shining black portraits on the walls, which my unartistic eye regarded as a composition of hard bake and sticking plaster. Here in a corner my indentures were duly signed and attested, and I was bound. Mr. Pumblechook holding me all the while as if we had looked on, in on our way to the scaffold to have those little preliminaries disposed of. When we had come out again and had got rid of the boys who had seen who had been put into great spirits by the expectation of seeing me publicly tortured, and who were much disappointed to find that my friends were merely rallying round me, we went back to Pumblechook's. 
And there my sister became so excited by the 25 guineas that nothing would serve her. But we must have a dinner out of that windfall at the Blue Boar, and that Pumblechook must go over in his chaise cart and bring the Hubbles and Mr. Wopsle. It was agreed to be done, and a most melancholy day I passed. For it inscrutably appeared to stand to reason in the minds of the whole company that I was an excrescence on the entertainment. And to make it worse, they all asked me from time to time, in short, whenever they had nothing else to do, why I didn't enjoy myself. And what could I possibly do then but saying I was enjoying myself when I wasn't? However, they were grown up and had their own way, and they made the most of it. That swindling Pumblechook, exalted into the benef- uh, beneficent contriver of the whole occasion, actually took the top of the table, and when he addressed them on the subject of my being bound, and had fiendishly congratulated them on my being liable to imprisonment if I played at cards, drank strong liquors, kept late hours or bad company, or indulged in other vagaries which the form of my indentures appeared to contemplate as next to inevitable, he placed me standing on a chair beside him to illustrate his remarks. My only other remembrances of the great festival are that they wouldn't let me go to sleep, but whenever they saw me dropping off, woke me up and told me to enjoy myself. That rather late in the evening, Mr. Wopsle gave us Collins' ode and threw his blood-stained sword in thunder down with such effect that a waiter came in and said, The commercials underneath sent up their compliments, and it wasn't the tumbler's arms. That they were all in excellent spirits on the road home and sang, O Lady Fair, Mr. Wopsle taking the bass and asserting with a tremendously strong voice in reply to the inquisitive boar who leads that piece of music in a most impertinent manner by wanting to know all about everybody's private affairs, that he was the man with the white locks flowing and that he was upon the whole weakest pilgrim going. Finally, I remembered that when I got into my little bedroom, I was truly wretched and had a strong conviction on me that I should never like Joe's trade. I had liked it once, but once was not now. End of chapter 13. Thank you for joining us on Storytime with Kurt. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, simply go to anchor.fm slash storytimewithkurt Or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please don't forget to leave us a review and rate us if you like. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at VOByKurt. If you have any suggestions for future podcasts, feel free to send an email to Kurt at StorytimeWithKurt.com. See you next time.